The Athletic. Hello everyone and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. I'm your host Tony Jameson and I'm joined by RDF Tactics and producer Steve. On today's show we're going to be returning to the West Midlands to cast our eye over the vacant manager's job at Wolves. The Athletics' Tim Spears is going to sell us the dream of managing Diego Costa. Speaking of dreams, we whisk ourselves away to Bergamo to witness Gasparini Ball in all its glory as Book Club returns. Plus, we've got your letters and we take a trip to the Tactics Garage. The lights are up, we're approaching the tunnel, the crowd begins to roar. Episode 4 starts now. Now the unexpected return of a feature much favoured in these parts, Book Club. Whereas in the past we've regaled you with a brief summary of a book that's been keeping us entertained as we take a much needed screen break from you know what, this time we're going up a level. We've got an actual author in our midst. So pull up a chair by the fire and please welcome Tom Underhill to the Football Manager Show. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So for the people who might not pay too much attention to Italian football, explain a bit about Atalanta and why you wanted to write this, The Working Hands of a Goddess, The Tactics, Culture and Community behind Gian Piero Gasparini's Atalanta. Are you available to do the audiobook? Because the, the way you wrote, you wrote that out was absolutely stunning and exactly what I had in mind when I chose the, <laughs> chose the title. <laughs> yeah, so Atalanta are a, a, a typically provincial club in Lombardy in northern Italy, and they had had about 110 years of very limited kind of Serie A status. They'd won one Coppa Italia in 1963, um, but kind of up and down perennial yo-yo club. They'd won more Serie B titles than anyone else in Italy, which kind of shows you that they were spending loads of time in the second division and then coming straight back up and then going straight back down again. A bit of a kind of Fulham kind of existence, if you will. And then in 2015, uh, 2016, sorry, they'd had a couple of rough seasons under uh, manager Eddie Reha, who's now the Albania manager. He'd come in to kind of stabilise the ship because they were in free fall and they were due to get relegated again, playing some of the most rancid football you've ever seen. It was horrendously bad. And at the end of the season, the 15-16 season, they sacked him and they brought in Giampiero Gasparini. And from then on, they finished fourth and then seventh and then third, and then third, and then third, and then last season back down seventh. But basically they've hit heights that no one could have ever imagined that they would hit. Gasparini has, is now their longest reigning manager in terms of matches in history. And it was just a story that I had to tell in the sense of it was unexpected. It was a bit of a Leicester-type story. But also the style of football they played is some of the most brutal attacking football we've seen <laughs> in Europe for, I'd, I'd argue, ever. I think there are a few teams that kind of have rivaled them for their sheer aggressiveness in a kind of attacking, goal-scoring sense. Mm, yeah. So tell us tell us a little bit more then about Gianpaolo Gasparini. Like, is he, What makes him the manager now for Atalanta? So he's a fascinating character. So he's um, he was a kind of a, a low-level kind of Serie B, uh, Serie C defensive midfielder. He had a few, a few experiences in uh, the top division. He, his most famous thing as a player is that he gave Maradona a like, bloodied nose playing at the Stadio San Paolo. <laughs> And they chased him out of Naples. That was like his his biggest kind of what he's known for. But he mm. born in Piedmont, which is where Juventus are based. And boyhood mm. Juventus fan. After he finished playing, he went to coach in Juventus's academy for a decade, coaching the kids. Really successful Primavera team under him. And he then started scaling the scaling the ranks. And his first big stint was at Genoa, where he had the a bit of a famous kind of football hipster team that had uh, Diego Melito, Thiago Motta, 
And that caught the attention of Inter, who had just come off the back of the Mourinho and Benitez days. And that was the you know, two two years after one year after winning the the Champions League. Giampiero Gasparini went in there with a team full of stars. So Samuelato, Wesley Schneider, Javier Zanetti. And he went in there and he tried to play three at the back. And it was an absolute disaster. And he lasted five matches and he was sacked. It almost destroyed his career. And he kind of built it up steadily again. He, had, he, went, to, he went to Palermo, but he got sacked again twice. And then he went, <laughs> back to, he went back to Genoa. And he did almost exactly the same thing he did at Genoa before, but with like a completely different group of players. So Mbai Niang, Iogo Falca, who was at Spurs for a little bit. Players like that and built them back up until Atalanta took a, took a punt on him. And the story of his career is that he's a project manager. So he will take poor kind of ground level resources and rinse unbelievable output out of them. That's always been his thing. He's still there six years later. And there've been a few kind of bumps in the road, but he's like a beloved son of that club now. And it's where he's finally found his like, his place and his calling and rightfully is like being talked about as one of the best Italian managers in, in the game in the last kind of 20 years. That is absolutely insane. <laughs> so he's clearly, he's clearly um, experienced in the game, as you said, ex-player as well. He spent a decade at Inter's youth team or Juve's youth team, sorry. Mm-hmm. But all of this work at Atalanta cannot be done without tactics. So talk us through Gasparini Ball, his formation, why it's pretty unusual and what the hell is he doing with his centre-backs? <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of it kind of goes back to that inter thing so going in yeah. inter he wanted to implement three a three at the back with wing backs who were were basically like wingers and incredibly workmanlike central midfielders and looking at that team there could if he'd been given the time there would there were the players there that he could have pieced something together there like zanetti could have easily worked in that team um, I think Cambiasso was still there at the time. They're the kind of workman-like central midfielders he likes. It could have worked, but he just they they just cast him out of there before he even had a chance because they they almost saw it as like uh, they saw it as almost insulting that someone could come in and try and tell these players how to play. But the key to Gasparini ball is first of all the most notable thing is that he's a kind of high man-to-man pressing system, mm-hmm. which is kind of it's been likened to Bielsa. In some respects, it's kind of true. Like from the forward line back in the midfield and defensive thirds, it almost is completely man to man. But in the final third, it's a bit more zonal. So it's not com- where Bielsa will have you mark your man and follow him wherever he goes Literally, on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. Gasparini's not quite. He's a bit more hybrid than that. But that's one of the eye catching. That's one of the first things you see. And when you look at their pressure numbers and their sprints, it's like off the charts and he murders his players in training a bit like Bielsa does and um, <laughs> like it's yeah that that's kind of one of the main things the other thing is he likes to he's kind of changed over the years but he's always like having incredibly aggressive wing backs who complement each other so you'll have yeah. one wing back who'll be a late kind of box arriver and goal scorer like uh, so Robin Gersens who's now Inter and then the other one on the other side would generally be a more safe in possession player and a crosser of the ball, so like a kind of more creative. So that would be like um, Spinazzola, who's at Roma now and was brilliant for Italy in the Euros. He yeah. really found his calling at on loan at Atalanta. Hans Hatterbohr is there now. Joachim Mela of Denmark. That kind of player is like the one who complements the goal scoring. Think back. So that's the other one. And then the final one I'd say is that just complete attacking freedom in the final third. Generally, that will be one striker, what used to be anyway, one striker, so Duvan Zapata, for example, serviced by two incredibly uh, kind of liberated creative players. So one was Papu Gomez and the other one was Josip Bilicic. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for Gomez. I was smiling, just waiting for his name. <laughs> just the most like amazing gifted players who had no right to be in to be in Bergamo playing for Atalanta. These were players who talent-wise were of a Barcelona level. And you're saying because Gomez is now often starting for Argentina alongside Messi and he's 35 and not actually playing very well, but that you know like the talent is is evident even amongst those types yeah. of players. Mm. Yeah, Gomez what's so great about him is that Gasparini told him essentially to follow the referee. So they'd, they with these wing backs and the kind of wide centre backs, they would funnel all the play out. They'd let the opposition have the ball and they'd press them and pin them out wide into kind of little triangles. They'd, yeah. they'd win the ball, turn it over 
and Gomez would, following the referee, would be in acres of space in the middle of the pitch because no one marks the referee and the referee is always kind of slightly withdrawn from where all the all the kind of busyness is. And it meant that he just had the whole centre of the pitch to exploit and he was pretty much the best player in Serie A for five years. Like I, I, I don't care if Ronaldo came and won the kind of the <laughs> golden boot. Papu Gomez was the best player in Italy for about four or five years because of that kind of complete freedom to yeah follow the referee and um, yeah make his own space. I just want to be a coach now. <laughs> I just want yeah. to coach the youth team. I just be like my creative midfielder. Just follow the referee. Let's see what happens. But <laughs> but yeah, in football manager, there's a role. Um, at the back. So if you use three at the back, you can use wide centre backs and you have options where you can kind of make them very cautious. They can support play or they can just bomb right ahead. Now, I remember a couple of years ago, I watched Atalanta and I've noticed that kind of some wide rotations, especially with the centre backs as well. And a couple of them do like to score goals as well. So I've got to know what is up with the goal scoring centre backs as well. That's another kind of one thing that you see is that the centre backs are... Um... You'll often have centre like centre backs in perhaps more like widely considered elite teams that will kind of bring the yeah. ball out themselves. Where you don't often get is off the ball centre back runners, and yeah. part of that is because he they play a very very high line and they press very high. So there's a lot of space in behind in behind them. So what Gasparini always needs is incredibly athletic, fast, proactive centre backs who can turn and run the other way and cover the space. So people like Christian Romero, perfect yeah. example of that. It's like quick, athletic, strong, but also incredibly aggressive on the front foot. Raphael Toloy, who's the club captain now, not the most technical player, but very physically gifted. Now, what that also means is that they're also going to have that ability to go the other way and run yeah. beyond and be a third man runner who almost never gets picked up. And the perfect example of this was in Gasparini's first se season, where they'd started quite badly. The result that turned it was a 1-0 win against Napoli at home. And this was Sarri's Napoli, so like pretty much one of the best teams in, in Syria. And Atalanta had kind of uh, ground their way to a 1-0 win. That had kind of set the ball rolling, where they went on a huge unbeaten streak. And they then went back to Napoli in a few months' time with a lot of confidence. And they went down to 10 men, Front Kessier, now Barcelona. He got, yeah. he got sent off. And they were 2-1, I think they were 2-1 up, down to 10 men with 10 minutes to go. And they had the chance for transition. They won the ball and they ran at field. But rather than go to the corner, the centre-back, who <laughs> was, I can't even think of who it was now, but the centre-back who went on to score, Mattia Caldara, that was it, mm. ran up the end of the pitch into the opposition box and got on the end of a cross and scored while they were down to 10 men, 2-1 up at Napoli who I think were, were, had only lost once that season. They beat them twice in a season. That kind of epitomises everything that's like Gasparini has. There's often not a lot of game state management, and that's potentially what's cost them winning titles and yeah. trophies. But you don't get the success of them getting that, of getting 98 points. Yeah. Uh, so 98 yeah. goals, sorry, and getting to the Champions League if you don't have the risk that's taken by those centre-backs. And you, you kind of, you've got to caveat it a little bit, but... Yeah, that's the centre backs are like some of the most fun. It's <laughs> such a fun profile because you can just stick anyone in there and just see how they they're either going to sink or they're going to or they're going <laughs> to swim spectacularly. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely all about risk and reward, isn't it? And I, I was I was on board. I was on board when you said project manager, and I was definitely on board when you said got sacked after five games. But now I'm going, ooh, incredibly attacking. I'm no, I'm not sure if that's for me to be honest, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but what, what, I noticed, what I noticed, though, in the book, the book's incredibly well-researched. Who did you speak to when you were writing it? <laughs> it, it was, well, thank you, firstly. It's, it's so great to hear that, like, yeah, it's kind of been worth it, that people are enjoying it. It's a difficult one because um, my kind of experience of writing and writing articles and interviews with, like, Italian clubs is they're very, as a, as a by rule, Italian clubs are very, very secretive and they don't like letting people in behind their operations. The further you go down the divisions, it gets, uh, it gets a bit easier, but... Even by Italian standards, Atalanta are very, very secretive. They have a kind of a, a hierarchy behind Gasparini that kind of ends with their president, Picassi, at the top. In between, there are lots of names that people know, but very little, like people yeah. don't really know much about them. And that made it all researching it very, very hard in terms of going to the club directly. So I just, I had to be creative a bit. So I, I spoke to as many journalists as I could who'd followed not just Atalanta, but Gasparini's career 
I went to and spoke to some of the, not the players themselves, but some of the coaches who helped bring up the players. So I interviewed the sporting director of Robin Gerson's first professional club to kind of learn a little bit more about like his mentality and his psyche. And uh, the agent of so Musa Barrow, who's at uh, Bologna now, he came for Atalanta. He was scouted by Atalanta age 14 when he was in the, like, in the Gambia. And this, this agent I spoke to was one of the ones who brought him over with the club to kind of raise him through the Italian ranks. And I find those sort of interviews and speaking to those people almost a bit more rewarding because firstly, there's you get a little bit more out of it in the sense of yeah. it's them telling like a story that isn't necessarily theirs. It's like them relaying their experience with another person, which I think means you get yeah. a more more objective kind of view and it's um and then otherwise it's just lots of like why scout and just endless <laughs> pouring over matches and watching as much as i can and l- luckily as a result of the book i would count myself as a fan now so i watch them every week if i can anyway so it didn't really it didn't feel too much work to just stick another stick another game on and <laughs> get the notebook out yeah <laughs> I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like when you when you become immersed in yeah. in the club. Like I mean, we 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 become immersed in saves, and we we sort of get an affiliation with the club. Like you have that that feeling with Atalanta, like based in in Bergamo, beautiful part of the world. Have you ever gone over? Yeah. Can you sell us it as a city break destination? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so so I went over. I went over last uh, this March, just gone, mm-hmm. just while the kind of the restrictions and stuff over there had kind of loosened a bit. Mm-hmm. I went over to go and watch watch a match, which is they played Genoa. Obviously, they drew nil nil and played the worst match I've seen them ever play. Of course, <laughs> but it was they were in a really bad rut at the time, so it kind of it kind of made sense. And um, Bergamo is just. People don't really know about it because it's about a 40-minute train journey away from, from Milan. And people will fly into Milan-Bergamo Airport to get to Milan. But really, the airport is based in is based in Bergamo, so you can see the city. But people will just kind of come out of the airport and go straight the other way to get to Milan. It's just a stunning city. It's, it's kind of built over two tiers. You have like a modern lower tier and then where the, where the football ground is, and then you can take like a little funicular railway up to like this upper elevated that's got like a kind of Venetian wall around it, and you can, on a clear day, you can see Milan. It's really a breathtaking place, Set and, and when you fly in, you fly over the Alps. It's just a lovely place that you wouldn't think to go unless you had like a real purpose to. It's not particularly touristy, um, but it's not that difficult to get there. It's just a great place, and... Um, yeah, if you're looking for somewhere that isn't typically touristy, that isn't like Milan or Rome or Venice, then it's yeah. a it's a lovely place, and you get you get the kind of the cold of the winter, like a proper kind of alpine cold in the winter. But the the summers are very kind of hot and typically Italian. If you get a chance to go and watch Atalanta live and be in the curva, it's um, even if they do draw nil nil with Genoa, it's still like with the best football ground experience I think I've I've ever had. Couldn't recommend it enough really i'm sold yeah. lovely and i was gonna say we, we <laughs> i was gonna say we do have a purpose to go to bergamo actually well kind of we want to be them in football manager yeah i kind of know what are, who are their top players to build around i was going to mention about uh the formation but a lot of people don't necessarily like three at the back and this is a very very good opportunity for people to use three at the back because it's still an opportunity to go very very attacking yeah. just like yeah. gasparini but who are their top players to build around currently in this Atalanta squad, for me, you've got so one of the one of the bright lights of this team is a, a centre back turned central midfielder called Giorgio Scalvini, who's oh, just yes. turned nineteen, and he's. <laughs> Manager players know about him. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's it's like he's been on the radar for a long time, and yeah. last season he came through as a centre back when Atalanta had a bit of a centre back crisis where they had injuries, and he looked like a kind of a reborn Alessandro Bastoni who, funny enough, came from Atalanta as well. Like, tall, <laughs> rangy, huge stride on him. Just a great ball player. Not necessarily the best defensively. He just looked like a great talent. And then this season, he's been moved into central midfield. It's, like, mind-blowing how good he is in that role. Like, the central midfield role is one of the hardest to play under Gasparini because that's where the man-marking really, really comes in. And yeah. they spend a lot of their time out wide, forming triangles with the wing-backs, with the centre-backs. You drop 
any central midfielder in there and they can easily get overwhelmed by the demands. Scalvini's 19 and he looks just perfect in there. He's just great. And, you know, at that age as well, he could be a a starter for Italy for the next decades. Like, he's just, he's a brilliant player. My personal favourite is Tone Cotminers, who's another central midfielder. Yes. Just everything. Like, like again, can play center, like left centre back if he wants, like if yeah. he needs to. Incredible long range passer. He's actually very secure on the ball as well, more than people give him credit for. Like he's very, very press resistant. Yeah. And he's added goals to his game. Like he's their joint top scorer this season. And he's got a hat trick early in the season. Unbelievable left foot on him. One of the best long range strikers of a ball around. A brilliant player. Still only twenty four. Will probably if if he's not pinched from Atalanta, will probably go on to captain captain the club he's my personal favorite Caleb Bacoli another centre-back who's just come through the oh, season yes. really exciting very very raw he's made quite a few mistakes this season but physically just looks incredible for his age Brandon Soppy left wing back came through at Udinese and Udinese have Destiny Adoji there at the moment who's been yeah. bought by Spurs Brandon Soppy barely played a minute last season for Udinese because Adoji is like the the man over there Atalanta decided to buy him. It's quite an unusual <laughs> signing to pick a guy who's had no minutes at a club much lower in the table who played pretty bad until this season, played pretty bad football and put him in into a starting role. But he's been really good this season. Again, young, French, great with the ball, fast. Honestly, you could just you could take your pick of any of them. And then you've got big Duvan Zapata up front as well, who's yeah. just an icon of the club. And if he can stay fit, is a brutal striker. Absolutely brutal centre forward who um has just been really unlucky with injuries, really. Excellent. Tom, thank you very, very much indeed for coming on. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. And um, we do, of course, we'll plug the book, of course. If you uh, don't have it, you need to get your hands on it. It's The Working Hands of a Goddess, The Tactics, Culture and Community Behind Giampiero Gasparini's Atalanta. Available at all good and some bad bookshops, uh, wherever <laughs> you can get them. Um, Tom, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Have you got social media or something we can we can follow? I do. Well, firstly, thank you, thank you very much for having me on again. Always great to talk about Atalanta and all stuff in Bergamo. So, thank you very much for having me on. You can find me on Twitter at Tom D underscore Underhill. That's the best place to find me and see my kind of writings that I've do for a few different sites. Fantastic, Tom. Absolute pleasure. Take care. We'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Football Manager Show from The Athletic. On The Athletic, you can read in-depth work from the likes of David Ornstein, James Horncastle and Adam Crafton. And if you've never done so before, you can get six months of The Athletic for only six quid. How do I do this, I hear you ask? It's simple. Visit theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. That's theathletic.com forward slash FM pod. Go on, do it now. The managerial merry-go-round is in full swing, with under-pressure managers constantly looking over their shoulders and wondering if the next bad result could be their last. Last week on New Vacancy, we discussed what awaits you if you chose to take over at Aston Villa on Football Manager 23. This week, we look at Wolverhampton Wanderers, who, at the time of recording, remain managerless following the sacking of Bruno Large. Large was relieved of his duties after 15 months in charge. He spent £120 million in the summer, and Wolves currently sit in the bottom three of the Premier League. So to tell us more about what might await us at Molyneux is the Athletics' Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well, thank you. A pleasure for you to join us. Genuinely appreciate it. Tim, could you just let us know what it is you do all day? Great question. <laughs> uh, don't 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 ask my editor. What shall I pretend that I do all day? No, I work. I work really hard covering uh, Tottenham Hotspur for a living. 
which is my new role. So Wolves fan, born and bred, followed the club for what three decades and was lucky enough to sort of report on them for seven years. And then um, made the big move to the Big Smoke in the summer, uh, covering Spurs now, which is... <laughs> so yeah, I was, after after watching a, a fairly dull team play with a 3-4-3 formation and prefer and prefer not having the ball and playing on the counter-attack, I was so happy to come down, you know, to, to follow a really big club <laughs> with massively exciting players, only to find, yeah, they play 3-4-3 with a very defensive counter-attacking manager and they hate having possession. So uh, it's just a much bigger, much bigger version of watching Wolves, really, with a lot with the, the fans who are, who are a lot more stressed. But it's all good fun. <laughs> so, Wolves, which players should people be excited about if you had to name four players to build your team around? Who would they be? The big sort of question with Wolves is the Neves question because, you know, he's he's a man to build your team around. But he's been there he's been there quite a few years now. He's been there five years, which is which is four more than I was expecting. You know, when he came in, he was, he was one of the best players the championship's ever seen and I just assumed he'd be leaving. But he's still somehow still here. And But he's only got two years left on his contract and it does feel like he's coming towards the end of his time at the club. We fully expected him to move on in the summer. He was in tears on the pitch at the end of last season because he was expecting to go. But that move didn't materialise. So that's that's the question, really, because he's the man you build your team around. But obviously he could command a big fee. You could move him on and, and sort of redo your midfield. But if Neves stays, he's certainly won. He's got lots of defensive and attacking attributes. Scores a lot of exceptional goals. He's a good leader. His only weakness is he's not very quick, but you know um, he's certainly good at that pivot in midfield. Then you've probably got Max Kilman as your outstanding defender. Probably not a player that you know that the nation is familiar with yet, but maybe soon. You know he's been on the fringes of the England squad and still learning because you know as of as of not many years ago he's playing futsal and playing non-league football with Maidenhead. So he's still he's still yeah he's had a cra- a crazy um, career trajectory. Obviously Jose Sarr at the back was one of the best keepers in the Premier League last season so that's a really solid base from which to work on going forward I mean scoring goals has been a problem for Wolves for, for years now to be honest but Pedro Neto when he's fit is one again sort of under the radar for a lot of people still probably because he spent most of the last season injured but in that in the pandemic season he was he was one of the best young players in the Premier League five goals five assists he's got a, a very high ceiling of potential He's quick, he's direct, he scores goals, he sets up goals, he's got fantastic character and, and work ethic. He's going places. So um, those are probably the four that I'd pick out. Mm, I mean, I must... Uh, I mean, they're, they're definitely four, four players to keep an eye on. Like, I, I tend to manage a lot in the championship a little bit lower. I always see that Wolves have got some players that you can always loan in. So obviously they have like a, a sort of development uh, system as well in place there. Now, you mentioned there with Neves, like, you know, you might want to think about possibly cashing in because on this year's game, the transfer budget we'll start with is 3.9 million. So you might have to buy to sell, but let's say money was no object. Okay. Where would you strengthen? 3.9 million. Is this the Wolves from 10 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> the owners are billionaires. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that is crazy. I mean, to, well, to be fair, I guess in the game's defence, has been sell to buy for Wolves for the last two years and then like from nowhere this summer they just spent 100 million quid (laughs) it's nice to be able to do that right if you just got it lying around but yeah sell to buy um, I mean there are quite a few players with with high value in the squad that you can move on you know that would certainly have a lot of takers but in terms of where to strengthen I mean it's it's, got to be up front it has to be up front they basically average a goal a game for two years now Raul Jimenez, you know, unfortunately, and it's a very sad story, is on the way in, you know, since his horrific, horrific fracture school that he suffered uh, away at Arsenal sort of two years ago now. He's never rediscovered his form from before that. And it's horrible to say, but, you know, it's, he's probably one to move on because it's hard to see him regaining that form now. You know, they've, they've, brought, they've, they've brought Diego Costa out of retirement. <laughs> and he's just... I'd, I'd love to see what his, his pace stats are on the game because... Um, he might as well be on crutches. The, the the mobility that he has playing up front for Wolves at the moment always good for a red card, obviously as well. Um, and Huang He Chan has been another sort of backup striker again. I don't think he scored this year. 
Ironically, they do have a, a striker scoring an awful lot of goals out in Belgium for Anderlecht called Fabio Silva, <laughs> who they spent £35 million on two years ago. Uh, he didn't score last season. There are a lot of Wolves fans sort of, rightly I guess, sort of saying, you know, why the hell isn't this guy in our team this year? But like I said, he didn't score last year. He needed to get out, play regular football and learn what it's all, what it means to be a striker. You know, playing first team football, he's never done that. So he's doing that now at Anderlecht. I think that's a great move for him. But again, someone with a lot of potential who, who can come back and uh, be a striker for Wolves for many years. But I think Anderlecht's the best place for him this year. But obviously, yeah, striker's massively the main area you want to invest in. Nice. Okay, so you got Fabio Silva back. He's developed. He's on fire. He's on fire. <laughs> Where do you look to bring someone in next? I would say probably defence. So uh, they've only got, unbelievably, they've only got two senior defenders at the moment, one of whom's Kilman, And like I said, he's still sort of learning his trade. The other is Nathan Collins, who they, who did well for Burnley last year. And, you know, is, is, is a good, solid defender. But below that, you're into the youngsters. So you're into a lad called Totti Gomez, and a lad called Yerson Mosquera, who's pretty young, but has got a lot of potential, has done well out in Ecuador, plays for the Ecuador national team. Wolves, for reasons that it would take me hours to go into, loaned out Connor Cody, sold Dendonka, sold Willy Bolly, and Romain Sace went on a free. So they let all these defenders go uh, and just and signed one. And yeah, Connor Cody on loan at Everton is just it's just a it's a nonsensical move in real life on a few levels, but certainly in the game, you know, you want to be getting him back because his leadership is um, absolutely second to none. So yeah, if you've got one injury at centre half, you're already in trouble. So you've got to be investing at centre half as well. Mm, okay, so we're talking about not just investing on the pitch. But what about off the pitch? Talk staffing. Who should we look to build our coaching staff around, and who should we be worried that maybe other clubs might be looking to poach? So I'd probably say uh, there's a guy called Matt Hobbs who's head of player and recruitment and chief scout. So he's the one who discovered Kilman a few years ago. It's a great story. He he was at, he actually went to watch a futsal game. This guy called Matt Hobbs to watch a couple of mates, and he noticed this guy like six foot three playing futsal. Obviously, immediately stood out because most futsal players would be like five foot two, and he was like, "Wow, he's actually really really good on the ball and a big man. What's he doing playing futsal?" Then he found out he was playing for Maidenhead part time, so he went to watch him at Maidenhead, and then the scouting ball got rolling, and eventually ended up signing Kilman, who's gone from there straight to Wolves. And is now, you know, an established Premier League defender who Gareth Southgate has got on his England radar. So Matt Hobbs certainly got an eye for a player. He also found Mosquera out in Ecuador. But the issue at Wolves is, and this won't be reflected on the game, is that they've they've got someone who isn't employed by the club uh, called George Mendes, who who basically does all their transfers, right? So, um, but he, you won't you won't find him in the staffing section at Wolves because you know he's he's. He's not employed, and, cer- and certainly for legal reasons, he's not he's not paid by the club either. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's the issue, I guess, in, in real life that they go for guest few clients, Portuguese players. But in the game, it'll be Hobbs heading up recruitment. He's, like I said, he's certainly got an eye for a player. He's well respected in the game, so you'd want to be offering him a bit of a lucrative deal. Because I, I did read recently, Chelsea and Man United have been sort of linked with Hobbs, so um, certainly being looked at across the Premier League. Nice. I like to think football manager is pretty realistic. I like to think that where in football manager would it be realistic for Wolves to finish in the first season? I think, um, I mean, you know, in three of the last four seasons, they're finishing the top 10. So, and it's so competitive to finish in the top 10. All the, Take the big six away, then you've got West Ham, Everton, Leicester, Newcastle, Palace, lots of clubs I've probably forgotten about, all looking to get in the top 10. And Wolves have done it three years out of four. So it's it's pretty impressive and probably doesn't go recognised as much as, as much as it should do. And I think top 10, given the outlay, given the money they spent, I haven't even mentioned um, Mateus Nunes yet, who's one of the most ex- exciting midfielders in the game and can basically do everything. He can dribble, he can pass, he's got a good shot on him, he's got a tremendous work ethic, he can tackle... He hasn't done much in the Premier League yet, but his ceiling is absolutely huge. Pep Guardiola called him one of the most exciting and best players in world football just a few months ago. So um, so you've got him. I think top 10 is absolutely realistic as long as you can solve that striker dilemma. That's the first thing you've got to do because, um, like I said, it's been an issue for Wolves for a couple of years now. They've got lots of exciting wide players. They've got a pretty solid defence when everyone's fit. They've got Neves and Nunes in midfield. A couple of solid full-backs. It's all there, really. I know they're really, really struggling this season, but they've got a much better team than their league position suggests. And if you can just get someone to bang those goals in from all the chances they create, you're looking at top ten certainly. And it's a, it's a really good club to manage because you know despite the despite the budget there, they do have a lot of money. They've got owners who are, are very ambitious. 
there's room to expand the stadium. There's lots to work with at the club. But yeah, as a minimum, you know, first season, you should be looking at top 10. Top 10 sounds doable, to be honest. Top 10 sounds doable. Excellent. Tim, appreciate you coming on. Uh, where can people check out more of your work and how can they get in touch if they wish so <laughs> to find more about Wolverhampton Wanderers? At Tim Spears on Twitter and all the usual places on the Athletic website. Lovely stuff. Tim, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. It's time for the Tactics Garage. RDF, I'm presuming this is your favourite time of the week. Oh, absolutely. I've waited seven whole days for this. Seven whole days, Tony. Seven days worth of tactics build up. We've got one for you this week as well. Ross Heslop, which is at Ross Heslop 91 on Twitter, has sent us a wonderful tactic for you to have a look at. Now, he's saying he'd love to know how to improve this. He's had a lot of success, but he's really struggling to control games with it. So why don't you do what you do? Load up the screen, talk us through it, and tell us where Ross can improve. So here is the beauty. 4-2-3-1, for those who can't see the screen, it's a 4-2-3-1 formation. Uh, it's pretty standard. He's got pretty standard roles as fullbacks. He's got fullbacks on support, two central defenders, so nice and composed defenders, no ball playing things going on there. In central midfield, he's got a deep line playmaker, box-to-box midfield, already a very nice balance. In the attack line, he's got an inverted winger on the left, a winger on the right, both on attack. In the middle, he's got his number 10 on support with the advanced playmaker or advanced forward up top. So just looking at this tactic, first glimpse, it's pretty balanced. It looks very, very solid, but obviously he's struggling to control games. So it might not necessarily be a roles issue. It might be more on the team instruction side. Mm, yeah, I was going to say, for, for, for just for looking at it, even for myself, I sort of think that's that seems fairly standard, you know, there's nothing yeah. that's jumping out too much. Um, in terms of what you're saying there, that, that, you know, there might be some roles and some instructions that could potentially be uh, needing to be tweaked. I mean, just going down this sidebar here where you've got your in-possession, you're out-of-possession, yes. uh, you're in transition, anything that's jumping out there either would be instantly drawn straight to your eye to go, you know what, maybe this is part of the reason that, uh, that Ross isn't controlling games. So in his tactical instructions, in-possession, looking at his pass and directness, he's playing sure, so he's looking to control the game, and then with the tempo, he's got higher. So already... Though you're looking to control the game with a shorter tempo, I meant with a shorter passing, the tempo is fairly high, meaning you are going to lose some control at certain points in the game because you're asking your players to make decisions fairly quickly, which is no issue in um, trying to control games. But at the same time, with his creative freedom, he's asking his players to be more expressive. He's also asking his uh, runners to run with the ball more often. So this may be an area where he's losing control with the ball. So if he's running at defence, maybe he's losing the ball trying to beat his man. Or with creative freedom, be more expressive. Players are acting outside of their tactical duties. Again, you might be losing some control in the attacking area. So the first thing I would be looking to tweak is the dribbling, possibly dribble less to gain more control and just remove creative freedom. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of even where my eyes are drawing first of all and obviously he's looking on the screen as well with with all due respect this you know he's, he's using this with Wigan as well <laughs> yeah. so he's, he's wanting like a high press high pace be expressive run at the defense like it's really sort of like aggressive so even I'm looking at that thinking okay maybe you're asking a little bit too much I mean anything in the out of possession and in transition instruction as well that you might be looking to tweak everything looks all well and good for me for a team that's looking to control the game so he's got higher land of engagement with a higher defense line that's a high press. So he is squeezing his opponents, trying to gain control of the game. His trigger press is more often. So I actually have, there's no issues for me. There's no issues. So this one was a little bit challenging to improve. So what I've actually done, which is pretty new this week, it's it's a tweaked version. And it's, it's effectively the exact same thing. But what I have done is drop my two central midfielders because he's using two central midfielders. And I've dropped them into that deep pivot role. So now it's two DMs. And instead of fullbacks, we've got wingbacks getting up, supporting the play, which though it seems like you're being a little bit more aggressive, but you're actually getting more support in that attacking area. Again, helping you gain control. When it comes to in possession, we actually haven't changed much. Like I said, I have made that tweak. We are now dribbling less instead of run at the defence. Out of possession, everything is exactly the same. It's just certain roles that I have tweaked. And number 10 as well, we've removed it from attacking midfielder on support to advanced playmaker on support just to get some, I don't know, hold the possession better in that attacking area. 
And voila, this is now the 4231. This is how I would improve it. It's very difficult to improve the original because he's doing well at Wigan already. And it's a very, very balanced tactic. Which is, it's a nice challenge this week. A very nice challenge for me this week. But I think I've done well here. <laughs> well, there you go. See, this is the thing. So sometimes it's not necessarily the tactic. If the tactic's balanced, yeah. sometimes, I'm going to ask you a question here, RDF. Sometimes, is it just that he needs better players? Yeah, and it's also getting the best at what you've currently got. It's very hard to see his Wigan side currently, but <laughs> I am managing Southampton in the offline save. And of course, we do have Ward Prowse. So I'm trying to get this, the 4-2-2, that, that high press, narrow attacking football. But we have that secret weapon. And for me, it's play for set pieces because we have that James Ward Prowse. Maybe for him, he has that secret weapon. Maybe it's a target forward and now you can play the same football, but just get those balls into the box. Maybe it's a really, really creative midfielder or a, a fullback that can cross fantastically well. You may have a secret weapon. So for me, in these weekend side, it may be just to find a secret weapon. And if he wants to control the game in possession wise, especially in that attacking area, I would dribble less with the ball. Mm, yeah, I think I would also trying to work out as well. Like, are there any particular styles where you just need better quality players? Like I know he's saying here about wanting to to control games but if you're playing yes, yes. quick counter-attack football you you kind of have to have that trade-off don't you like like can you play possession football in the lower leagues yes that's a very um very good question Tony and I, I think we would have to have an episode where we're talking about this as well when it comes to style of plays and the attributes needed for certain style of plays so for an example this is more of a controlled game like he said he wants to control the game possession football so for your players, they would need to have decent first touch, anticipation and off the ball so they can read the game, put themselves in the right position and also composure to be able to handle certain situations. You will need to have certain attributes in the lower leagues for a team like Wigan. You wouldn't necessarily focus so much on the technical attributes because not everybody's going to have great technical attributes. Then you will kind of substitute that for the physical. So you would look for players that have very good balance on the ball. So when they are pressured, they're not being unfazed. And, you know, you've got jump and reach as well, which can be, again, your secret weapon in those lower leagues. Mm, yeah, and that's a sort of... To be honest, that's a little bit more for myself than for, for Ross, I think, to be honest. But, <laughs> it, but is something, it is something that people don't, sorry for cutting you off, but it is something that people don't really business themselves with, which I think is actually really, really important, especially something like a gag and press. You can't really gag and press with players with low natural fitness, stamina, aggression, bravery, and work rate, which people will attempt. But it's, again, it's, it's for another episode. It's for another episode. Mm, so there you go. This tactic... Just a tweak, not an overhaul. This is, of course, what we do here. You don't have to have a complete overhaul. We can, of course, just tweak. And hopefully, Ross, let us know if uh, what Aaron suggested has improved your tactic. Now, if you are listening and you think, you know what, I need a bit of a, a bit of a once-over, you want to bring your tactic to the tactics garage, tweet us a screenshot of the tactic, including the uh, the, the instructions down the side, and more importantly, tell us what's wrong with it. Tweet either myself at Tony Jameson or probably more importantly, tweet Aaron <laughs> at, at RDF Tactics. And who knows, maybe your tactic will be up on a couple of blocks and having the once over in the next few weeks. Now it's time for the letters section and to help us do that, it's producer Steve. Hello, producer Steve. Hello, everybody. Are you well? Have you had a good week? I'm very well. I'm very well. Oh, I had a bit of a dicky tummy sort of earlier in the week, which I won't go into any more details for people at the time they'll be listening. But um, <laughs> And the heating isn't currently working in the house, so it's been a chilly start to autumn. But otherwise, these things are being fixed. So mm -hmm. generally speaking, very well. Hmm. So I think the message there is onwards and upwards. Exactly, I believe is is the uh, is is the phrase. Cool. So letters are here. Letters are here now. Before we start with the letters, Aaron. Yes. I put my head into your stream last week, <laughs> okay? which I do, which I do, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Now, explain to me this, okay? You've started managing Bishistas. Yes. Over in Turkey. Now. Why did you change the game language to Turkish? What are you thinking? <laughs> it was like, I, don't, I honestly don't know. It was past midnight and I'm still on stream. I don't, I don't know why. I'm literally just sitting there talking to people at this point. And I'm just going around Football Manager. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to start a new save and we're going to start it, prepare it now for tomorrow. And then tomorrow we can do it all well. 
So I went into my preferences and I'm just looking at some of my settings and I noticed language. I just, I'd never look at it. Again, bear in mind, this is nearly one o'clock now. I'm just like, what would happen? Because, oh, that's it. Um, Last year, I played a game with no attributes. So you couldn't see the player's attributes. And the good thing about Fort Manager, you can literally play the game in the way you want to. So I was looking for that in the preferences, but then I noticed language. I was like, hold on a second. Could you imagine if we changed the game into a different language as like we're a real manager? If we're Besiktas and we're Turkish, then surely the game should be in Turkish. So we gave it a go. We gave it a go for that realism, that authentic, that authentic feeling. And the first hurdle, I mean, the first team meeting. We had no idea. <laughs> I'm telling my players about objectives. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm terrible at those meetings when the game language is in English. I can't imagine. Change. And you know what? I've done some stupid stuff on the game. I wrote a comedy show about the stupid stuff I've done on the game. But even I looked at that and thought, Aaron, that's too far, too far. But you know what? That got my brain thinking. That got my brain thinking. I thought, you know what? Let's put this out to Twitter. Let's see if it's just us or whether the wider community and the wider audience do silly stuff as well. So I asked, what is the daftest thing you've ever done on Football Manager? And some of the responses we got are, as always, wonderful. <laughs> First of all, Crab Dribble has responded with, I signed Marcelo on loan, covered all £200,000 of his salary just to mentor my academy players. Is that Mar- just to be clear? Is that Marcelo with the the, the sort of amazing hair? And, yes, you know, Real Madrid. <laughs> yes. That, that Marcelo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Former Real Madrid Marcelo. We don't know what club Crab dribbles at, but I'm guessing it's a one that's got a lot of money if you're covering two hundred grand worth of wages. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean that is that is exceptional and purely to mentor as well. Now this this then gave us a, a wider talking point. Crab dribble. This is something we're going to look at a bit further down the line because mentoring groups are incredibly important. So on the face of it, that might have seemed quite silly, but you might be onto something. Yes. You might be onto something. So keep your eyes peeled for coming up features. So next we have David Fleming. On Twitter, his handle is greyinbed 79 Presenting myself with my work lanyard as a Champions League winner's medal to wear to soak in my victory. Oh, that's Lovely. maybe too far. Nah, well, beautiful. well, I remember uh, the first iteration of this game that I played. I was playing Roma and I think it was the year after Fabio Capello's, uh, in, in real life, Roma won their last Scudetto with Totti, Battistuta, all those guys. And they're in the Supercoppa Italia. And I won that game. And it, this was back in the sort of, you know, real limited functionality. of You'd see the flashing goal that, and you have no idea what was going on. Just the, the goals <laughs> came in sort of thing. For, for whatever, I was in, my, in the office in my, in my childhood home. For whatever reason, there was this random trophy with, with like a person sitting on a winged horse. And so I wrote, I don't know what, I think for both my parents working reinsurance, I think they must have got some sort of reinsurance award. Don't know. So I got this trophy and I wrote Supercoppa Italia <laughs> on it. And I, and I did the whole kind of trophy lift thing. So David, I am completely with you on that one. I have to say. Don't regret it. Don't regret it. Anyway, our next letter comes from Alexander Taborsak-Linez, who is at Alex Inlines. And um, Alexander says, in answer to this question, nothing crazy. My only kink is I like to change the currency to the local one where that's possible. So I usually play in European leagues. So it's more often than not the Euro, for example, rarely ending up with anything more exciting than the Krona or a Dinar. So um, that's a nice little one there. I like that. I like that. I like having to play a game with a calculator constantly <laughs> to work out the exchange rate. Um, Liam, who is at triple Z on Ked with a double D and an underscore, his answer is much easier than his Twitter handle. He says he signed John Bostock. <laughs> so that's crazy enough. But was there not a game that he would have been like fantastic in? I imagine. Well, it depends. I mean, like, you know, if there's a version, there's a version <laughs> when he's about 16 and he was fantastic. If it's this current version, you've signed John Bostock. He's, <laughs> he's trying to cling on to that every year. Uh, it was like, it's similar with me with Freddie. I do like, even though he wasn't great in the later version, it was like, maybe if I sign him, I could do, I could work my Gasparini on him. Maybe if I sign him, <laughs> I could work my wonders on him. But next, we do have Matt Smith. Oh, well, this one's fairly simple to, <laughs> to mention on Twitter, to pronounce at Matt, Matt. Smith, 
I, well, I said it was easy. I was, it clearly wasn't. <laughs> the hardest thing yeah. I've ever done is manage Sunderland. Now, I've actually seen a few people agree with him. And considering you guys have done the challenge, what do you think? I agree wholeheartedly. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just sort of, you know, in those sort of war films where, you, where someone has like a flashback to a moment in time. Oh, uh, you don't want to think about it. Sort of, that's what I'm feeling right now. Anyway, our final one of this response comes from Stephen Keane, who's at Keeney81. He came home drunk, fired up FM, played for a couple of hours, went to bed. Woke up the next day, turned it on again, to discover that every single player in my squad, from the first team, reserves, and the under-18s included, had their nickname set to Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> now this is... What? Now we've spoken before, I think previous episodes I mentioned, you know, be careful firing up FM. <laughs> if, if you're someone who, who does like a alcoholic beverage or two, be careful firing up FM because the, the consequences can be devastating in terms of setting your best player or just a bit daft like this. So anyway, we'll, we'll feel you, Stephen. We've all been there. <laughs> Maybe I'm a lightweight. <laughs> Maybe I'm a lightweight, but I've actually had like just two drinks on Football Manager on the stream. And it's like, yeah, you go to the next day and it's like, I don't even remember this. I, don't, I think in Football Manager, there's way too much information to take in, even if you had a drink or two. Next day, yeah, I just didn't remember doing it. Not, it wasn't as bad as nickname and everybody, <laughs> but it was just certain things, tactical decisions. Why did I do that? Why am I focusing down the right when my best player is on the left? <laughs> I mean, at least a nickname you can undo, but selling your best player or signing a Romanian yeah. left back, you can't undo those things. <laughs> I spent 50 million quid on a 16 year old it's not even going to get work permit what have I done (laughs) (laughs) but you know what Stephen we've all been there we've all been there Uh, final question final question that we've got Francis Burns has got in touch he's Francis underscore Burns 84 with a good question when will the next community challenge be getting announced ooh Francis it's going to be once the main game is released very soon. Very soon, my friend. We have a challenge in mind. So hopefully you'll, um, I was going to say enjoy, but you'll endure the challenge, uh, <laughs> as is the, uh, the way that we do things here on The Athletic. So uh, yes, in the next couple of weeks, we will be announcing that. So please do uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. We're looking forward to it immensely. Now, as always, thank you very much for all your letters, correspondence, and we are assured the technical issues will be getting sorted, quote-unquote, any day now, honest, in terms of emails. (laughs) But in the meantime, do keep longer letters coming to us uh, via Ian, Ian McIntosh. It's imacintosh at theathletic.com. Or if it's short form, then, of course, tweet us. I'm Tony Jameson, and RDF is at RDF Tactics. And that was the Football Manager Show from The Athletic. Your guests today were author Tom Underhill and Tim Spears from The Athletic. Your co-host was RDF Tactics. Your producer was Steve Hankey. And I am Tony Jameson. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. The Athletic.